0: This is MuggleCast, your Harry Potter and Fantastic Beasts podcast covering everything about J.K. Rowling's magical world. Welcome to MuggleCast episode 301. Micah, Eric, and Gina are, I, uh, 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 are here this week. <laughs> Great start. I'm getting old. I'm getting old Mike. my... We've been at this for a while. Uh, how's everybody doing this week? Good. Good. Great. We're in a new era for the show. Do you think we're going to make it another 300 episodes?
1: If you're doing a oh. weekly, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that wouldn't be too hard to do if we if we were back weekly again. Thanks to the support of our patrons. <laughs> anyway, people really liked our discussion last week, Eric. Some people. I told really. you people would like it.
1: <laughs> it's nice to have once. Let's never do it again. <laughs> Eric had you go into therapy uh, after yes. recording episode three hundred. Seeing someone regularly. Uh, speaking of seeing someone, Andrew, did you win your 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 toy? Did you
0: my win? vibrating broomstick? Yes. No, I did oh. not win it. Unfortunately, I'm still searching for one. I'm surprised no one emailed. I would have expected one of our listeners to email in and be like, "Hey, I've I've got one. You want it? I'll send it to you." <laughs> Come on, somebody! I'll give you twenty bucks for it.
2: Well, Eric said there's some great updates at the PO box, so who knows? Maybe somebody did send it to you.
0: Oh, oh maybe maybe it's we'll a
1: surprise. We will get to that later in the show. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you <laughs> Eric were outbid. goes to the post office and pulls a broom out of the PO box.
2: <laughs> Sorry, sir, this didn't. <laughs> fit the, in the the, box. Yeah, the,
1: the yeah the mail the mailbox is magically expanded. It's bigger on the inside. Actually, fun fact: when they Whenever they, I get a package, because the mailbox is only a couple inches wide, uh, they put a little slip in there and they store it in the back on, like, a bigger shelf.
0: So
2: I, w- I wanted to get so, it to the yeah. point where you re- start to record the reactions of the postal
0: workers as they
2: present you, <laughs> the things that are being sent to the P.O. box.
0: Uh, Sir, yeah. a, a live goat was sent to the P.O. box this week.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Listeners really are, though, all joking aside, topping
0: themselves. We'll talk about it later, but I'm really excited to update you. Cool. I'm excited, actually. Before we have we have some news to get to this week, we have an interview with somebody who visited the set of Fantastic Beasts and where to find them for MuggleNet. Uh, So everyone here except for me spoke to Jessica before recording this week's episode, and we have that interview for you. We're also going to... This is more of a, it's a kind of like a grab bag type of episode. Just a variety of things to discuss. Um, but I do have to mention Patreon recently launched an amazing new feature. If you've been on the fence about supporting us on Patreon, now is probably the time. So one, one of the kind of issues with, with Patreon and the content that we release there is that. So, we release these bonus MuggleCast installments, as we will be doing uh this month. We release two a month. And one of the issues has been that patrons can't listen to it through their podcasting app, through right. iTunes, through any podcasting app you uh, use. You have to use the Patreon app or the website, which are both good, but it's not like listening to a podcast. Well, patrons now have their own custom RSS feed that they can pop into their podcasting app whether you're on your desktop your laptop or your ipad or your iphone or android whatever and you will receive the bonus content just like you would new episodes of munglecast through your podcasting software wow yeah i I love patreon they've always they've always really cared about the creators and the supporters and this just shows you that they're really still working to improve the service to make it as uh great as possible did so, somebody say a game changer? <laughs> <laughs> I was I was thrilled when they announced this. I was like, wow. Yeah, you texted all of us. You were very excited. I was super excited. I've so, never seen you use that many exclamation points, actually. <laughs> well, usually I'm, the I'm the a little nerdy, so <laughs> when stuff like that happens, I, I geek out. But uh so please support us if you're not already. We'd really appreciate it. Patreon.com slash MuggleCast. You'll get bonus audio that you can now receive right within your podcasting app. You'll also receive signed album art. And many other bonus features, including chapter the ability readings. to stream the show. Our recordings live. We have a bunch of people listening live right now as we record this week's episode. Ooh. And yes, chapter readings, as Eric mentioned. And thanks everybody for your support. If we get to a, our next milestone, we may be doing the epi- We will be doing the episodes weekly. New episodes weekly.
1: It's within Crazy. our grasp. It's quite terrifying. Yeah. <laughs>
0: we haven't done it in so long. We're a little... Uh, uh, I think it's probably been seven rusty. years. Yeah, I'm not sure. A little rusty. Micah, you're going to have to hop back into that newsroom and boot things mm-hmm. up again.
2: There's a lot of cobwebs in there.
0: <laughs> and a empty of liquor of, bottles. A lot of dead goats in there. Oh, oh no.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> anyway, let's get to some news. Um... J.K. Rowling, if you've heard of her before, I think, she recently teased on Twitter that the Patronus quiz is coming to Pottermore. But do we believe her? So somebody tweeted J.K. Rowling, first of all, you're simply amazing and I adore you. Second, do we have any time frame for the Patronus quiz on Pottermore? She replied, an announcement is very close. Now, that's great. But here's the thing. She's been promising the Patronus quiz for two years. <laughs> oh, that's, that's it? That's only two years? I, it does feel like longer, doesn't it? It yeah, may be. Yeah. The oldest tweet I found was from September 2014 when she said, keep watching Pottermore in <laughs> regards to the Patronus <laughs> quiz. Jeez. And then and then last February, this past February, she said it won't be too long until we get to take it. So I don't know what's, what the delay is, but I believe her. I want to believe her.
2: Yeah. I Well, and it's also important to remember that an announcement is different than... The actual test going live, so there's still be some time to wait after the announcement is made. She could say, "Oh, the Patronus quiz, you can expect it Christmas 2016," and then we'll see if it actually happens. But, uh, but I
0: don't why, see why there's why announce why announce it before. It it comes out, you know what I mean. Just just release it. Well, Don't well like if they still need more time with it, right?
1: Because like they announced and released the Overmorny quiz, like at, that's the same time, right? That was one thing. But I guess the Patronus, the Patronus quiz is so high profile. Like people have been asking for this, I think, way back since you know since we did the House quiz on Pottermore because that was so special and immersive. The House quiz and the Wand quiz were both integral to the Pottermore experience. And so we always kind of wanted more and the fact that it's been, you know, X number of years, six years or something since, you know, Pottermore first came out and we still don't have this means like I'll take anything. I'll take an announcement even if it's not an immediate release. I bet we'll get
3: an announcement this year and the actual test will come out when that Fantastic Beasts book gets
0: re-released.
3: Not the script, the charity,
0: the new box set. Yeah right he, okay yeah yeah of all i bet beasts. they'll
3: tie it in with that somehow but still hmm the word soon doesn't really i don't it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean anything, anything at this, at this point. point
2: it's just like george r. r martin saying the winds of winter will be out soon <gasps> <Yeah. laughs> What? which will
3: we get first what uh, that, that would be a lovely point. like bet or or
2: let's okay. do a poll yeah which will come out first I'm going to say the
0: Patronus quiz is coming I, first.
3: I don't know. <laughs> I
0: do agree so with that. So I was thinking, what other quizzes would we like to see on Pottermore? Written by J.K. Rowling. Because they they do a bunch of these like BuzzFeedy type quizzes on Pottermore. And they're not, you know, they're just throwaway content. But what would we like to see J.K. Rowling develop for the site? I, I was thinking, I did a little brainstorming, your animal that you get from Diagon Alley like oh okay I think that would be kind of cute didn't
3: we do yeah. that though when you when you got um, your stuff you the old on the old, and on the old side? Yeah, but it
0: wasn't like a but it wasn't a personality quiz was it no right it wasn't like you just got it wasn't to like choose.
1: which which pet would you be happiest with you know yeah would be kind of like what you're saying I, I think like
0: a good idea people would love a bunch of personality quizzes written by JK Rowling to learn more about themselves in the wizarding world. So another example would be like the classes you should take at Hogwarts. Oh, yeah. Or the teacher you'd most get along with. (laughs) I want that one.
3: I want one that tells you where you would live in the wizarding community. Like what little like section like uh, Godric's Hollow or, you know, Hmm. the the outskirts of the borough. Or maybe you would live in a muggle area.
0: Yeah, that'd be fun. I like that. That'd be fun. Any other ideas before we move on to our listener suggestions? I I got nothing. I I think the listeners are probably smarter and and better at this. And mine were so awesome. (laughs) Yours were great. Yeah, (laughs) Andrew. The bar (laughs) is really high. Micah, tell us what some of our listeners said when you asked this question on Twitter. So Nazima said, can we actually have
2: owl exams?
0: Yeah, that'd be cool.
1: I would love that. it'd be horrible. I failed the wombat so miserably. I don't want the owls. (laughs) Didn't Mugglenet do tests like this? I believe they do them uh, every year. Yeah, the gnomes. The gruelingly nauseating and onerous mugglenet exams. Uh I also fail them every year.
3: <laughs> I had my dad I, I try and take them, them once and he was like, This is impossible. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: No, but the exams oh, would be cool. Ahead. Yeah, yeah. The exams would be would be cool, actually. Even though I said I wouldn't take
0: them. I want the rest of the world to have them. Those would be cool to tie into like the release of the encyclopedia. Mm -hmm. Because if all that information is coming out at once, maybe before the encyclopedia is out, or like, okay, everybody read the encyclopedia, you'll be quizzed on it in (laughs) two weeks, people would lose their
2: minds. Let me rephrase the question from earlier, which will come out first, The Winds of Winter or J.K. Rowling's encyclopedia? (laughs) The
3: Winds of Winter.
0: Yeah.
2: Mm. (laughs) Now I can't decide if this person's real name or their Twitter handle is more difficult to read.
1: Uh, Go for the Twitter, I guess.
2: So at Biblio Bibuli nice. says, What is the most suitable profession I would have in the wizarding world?
1: I like this. I like this a lot. Yeah. A, a, a quiz that measures whether you would be a good curse breaker or homemaker. That's what I, you know, that's, that's what I want. Yeah.
4: Mm, I don't think Kyle. That's what
1: no. no, but like, I mean, if you make a good R, you know, yeah. or other such profession, Professor? Professor, there you go. Yeah. Hey uh goat hogshead uh goat bartender fondler. yeah bartender bartender
2: Eric, remember you were the one who didn't like the end of the last yeah, episode,
1: yeah, so yeah, don't yeah, go yeah. there I got it, I got it, I got it
2: All right. <laughs> um Kyle says uh very similarly, uh owls, but a quiz that would tell us what our magical strengths are, example, he's good at charms,
0: oh yeah, 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 I would... and all these types of quizzes would let people. Have great discussions with their friends on social media and in real life. I think these would really get the Harry Potter fandom going. Yeah.
2: Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Alex agrees with you, Andrew, says what magical creature I would take to Hogwarts. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, see? Tina also uh, agrees about wanting a wizarding career aptitude test.
1: <sighs> That'd be cool.
2: So does Kat, who says maybe what career I would have in the wizarding world. Uh Lene would like to see a more extensive sorting hat quiz with all the questions instead of just some.
0: Does that mean like, because when you take the quiz, you get different questions each time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I still don't. We, I think we kind of touched on this on a previous episode, but I still don't get why they give you different qu- questions every time you take it. Because I would prefer a complete sorting hat quiz as well. Right, so So we important. know that everybody is on the same playing field yeah
2: yeah and then Cornel Van flutterin says sorting quizzes for all wizarding schools if they have houses of course
3: i want that yeah that's that's like once they reveal all the information on all the schools i want that
0: because joe that is preview yeah right that is coming Uh, well i mean like that is happening we got the ilvermorny one we got the summary so, of, of all
1: the, uh, foreign wizarding schools too. The one in Africa, the one in, uh, Asia. We did get like blurbs on all of them, but mm-hmm. not info as far as if there are houses, which there don't have to be, but if there are houses, you know, or how, how are the students divided, then a quiz on how that would work out.
0: Are we being too greedy? Like, do, do characters in the wizarding no. world, are they curious about what houses they would go into in the other schools? Maybe. I don't, I don't
3: think they care about the other schools because I think they're like, it's kind of like you're proud of your college and everyone else went to like the worst one ever. Like you, you have pride, so you don't really care about what other house you're put into.
0: Yeah, that's true.
1: There have to be exchange students though. Like students who go to another one of the schools, maybe just for a year of learning.
3: Mm-hmm. Like for the Triwizard tournament. Yeah.
1: yeah. But, you know, not once every thousand years. (laughs) Well, and that stopped happening
0: now. Yeah. Uh, Oh, well. Finally found that out. (laughs) Thanks to the Cursed Child. So, little other news. Thanks to everybody who participated in that on Twitter.com slash MuggleCast. This is not directly Harry Potter related, but we'll get back to Harry Potter in just a brief moment. Corman Strike was cast for the Robert Galbraith mystery series that the bbc is doing with jk rowling uh tom burke is going to play cormoran strike a lot of people know him i personally didn't know him no i i don't know that i i do either i
1: i I don't think we talk about cormoran strike enough on this podcast because it's actually like a really good series that's written by jk rowling um but this was big enough news that uh, I'm glad we're talking about it. Um I do think that, you know, however I pictured Cormoran Strike just from reading the first book, um, you know, I think I pictured him a little older, a little less handsome. Um, But I'm
0: sure that Tom Burke will do a good job. Mm-hmm. He's best known for the, I believe it's on the BBC, The Musketeers. That oh, series. Right. A lot of people were freaking out. A lot of Tom Burke fans were very happy about this news but a- as to his age i thought this too I-, I thought tom burke looked a little too young but then i googled it and corman strike is the same age oh, but cool. i guess just the way you you read corman strike in the series he's just mm-hmm. disheveled and he's really yeah. kind of he's a mess in general think he's a little
2: bit i mean when i read him I, I feel like he's a little bit older than than maybe he
0: actually is is that what you're getting at He's well, he's in his mid 30s, just like Tom Burke is. My God, yeah, I know yeah, what
3: yeah. you're saying, though. And I, He I agree. reads is like he's been through a he war, he reads is sort of hard, so.
0: hard boiled. Yeah, right, right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think this is cool news. And I guess now we'll hear about Robin, his assistant. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Partner. The, news, the news to come, yeah. And they're going to be filming later this year, and I guess it's going to premiere sometime next year. And they're they're so <clears throat> it's kind of gonna be like a mini series, so they're do, they're shooting all three books that are out so far at once, and then each book gets like one or two episodes. So yeah, I'm really that's... looking forward to this, and presumably this series is gonna be around for a while because J.K. Rowling is writing a few more of these books. The next one she's writing right now, she's been hinting on Twitter that it it is moving along. But it does seem to be taking longer than the previous books. They were coming out a year apart from one another. Mm. And I guess just because of Fantastic Beasts and The Cursed Child and what other mm. uh, other projects she's working on, it's it's been slower this time.
3: I believe she yeah, did she confirm was... that it comes out next year because people thought it would come out this year. And I believe yeah. she said, no, you're going to have to wait till 2017. But there is a date okay. to keep in mind.
0: Cool. Are you going to say something, Micah?
2: Just that uh, she was saying in a a Facebook live event that she did yesterday for Lumos that this year, 2016, has really been the year of her returning to Potter uh, Mm. with Cursed Child and and Fantastic Beasts and all the buzz that's been going on specifically Mm. around those two projects. Uh, So I think we'll probably get more focus on the Corman Strike novels, as Gina was saying, next year
0: no stay (laughs) in harry potter stay stay in harry potter
2: can i ask a question though uh, of this group how many people have read all three novels that that she's written so far i have
0: what oh have you have you guys written have, have you guys read the corman strike novels gina and eric i read
3: one and a half
1: I was waiting for Gina to finish the second one before moving on to the second one because we have one copy between the two of us. Um <laughs> But she never did, so I never did. So I'm blaming <laughs> Gina fully for this. I blame you, Gina. This is me blaming you. I read the first one. I, I loved I, it. I
3: accept the blame. <laughs> this is the thing.
1: I, re- I read the first one and loved it. And the premise for the second one about an author who was writing, like, unpopular stuff and may have been whacked for it was so interesting to me when it came out, and I really 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 wanted I had like such uh I felt like such momentum, but then I never picked it up. I have full confidence that I will really enjoy these two books, but like I have no good excuse for not having read them.
3: The second one got confusing to me I think it was probably just me putting it picking it up and putting it down on an unregular schedule, but I kept yeah. forgetting things I'm like I need to just Quit while I'm ahead, and then go back, like, now at a way later date, and just start over.
1: Did you ever buy the third one?
3: I didn't, no. That's the only book I have not, like, the only J.K. Rowling book I have not rushed out and purchased. And I almost did, even though I wasn't done with the second one, just to say I rushed out and purchased it. But... Right. This
1: is my commitment to listeners of this podcast and Harry Potter <laughs> fans and J.K. Rowling fans everywhere. I will read the second and third Cormoran Strike books before this BBC series airs.
0: Oh, yeah. You got to do that. And Micah, yeah. you've read all three, right?
2: Yeah. Cool. Which one's I, your favorite? I was just going to mention how great the the ending to the third one is. But I didn't want to go into any detail without knowing that
1: everybody had read them. A
3: lot of people said the actually... third one is really good.
0: Uh which one's your favorite, Micah and Andrew? I loved all three. I do think th- I-, I would say one and three were probably my favorites.
4: Okay. But two yeah, so wasn't far bad. I would
2: say
0: three. Um,
2: just oh, wow. like Harry Potter.
4: No. <laughs>
2: maybe maybe there's a connection there. But uh, I'm interested to see how they're going to adapt this into seven hours. because uh, I they... but I guess if if you were to make actual Films of these books, they probably would be just over two hours anyway. So I guess that makes sense. But yeah. will they continue after uh, Career of Evil? You know, and and keep making these these adaptations. And and are they planning to? They may have announced this, but are they planning to bring it to the U.S. as well, um, or syndicate they, it larger than just? It might um, be
0: BBC America or BBC? something. They haven't announced it, but. Um... With the casual vacancy, the BBC and HBO kind of hooked up for that. So I suspect that it would come to HBO.
3: <clears throat>
0: but we'll see. Yeah, I mean, it's going to have to come to America. They can't not do that. Mm-hmm. So so we will see and hopefully hear more about the fourth book soon. Rolling, by the way, said, I'm thrilled about the casting of Tom Burke, a massively talented actor who will bring the character to perfect life. Corman Strike mm-hmm. is pure joy to write, and I can't wait to see Tom. Everybody's play perfect. <laughs> it's like we we and, and you'll hear this in
2: a little bit. We were when we were talking with Jessica last night. Um, there were, I think it was, was it David Heyman, Heyman. Or, or David yeah. Yates that was saying how uh, Eddie Redmayne was was the only choice that they ever had <laughs> for Newt's commander. So. So if, everybody's if, perfect.
0: So if Eddie Redmayne wasn't born, there would be no fantastic. There case. would be no fantastic. <laughs> That's
4: right.
2: A hundred percent. Wow. But also just wanted to add something interesting that she also said during that, that Facebook live uh, was that, you know, in sort of the the seven year period plus uh, since uh, Deathly Hallows was released, you know, she had been writing a lot. She did the Casual Vacancy, the Corman Strike novels, and she also added some other things that I'm sure will eventually see the light of day. So not sure what those are, but um, hmm.
1: I hope we she can clearly ex-
2: expect more from her.
1: I hope she went back to her childhoods. The first, the first children's story she wrote about a rabbit named Rabbit. I, I want that. Oh yeah, like full length seven part series. That's what I want. Yeah. Such a clever
2: name. <laughs> um, <laughs>
3: also to James in the Patreon chat. Um, I did read Casual Vacancy and I loved it, but I have not seen it yet. I just haven't been able to Me neither. I haven't had the opportunity to.
1: You haven't seen it either Andrew you tweeted to Joe saying it made you smile or something and you made her blush. <laughs> I,
0: I said it was a BBC memory that I cherish <laughs> very much.
2: Of course. The truth is better <laughs> I haven't than my, seen than it my in story. full like I'll I've caught it in parts um usually the second part and you know I I I just for me with casual vacancy I I truly and honestly cannot remember what happens in that story and so i feel like if i were watching it um i would have to go back and possibly read it again just so that i could better appreciate
0: it well in the book there is a vacancy that's casual (sighs) let's get back to harry potter harry potter so halloween season is upon us and one of the wizarding world parks is finally doing something cool with halloween right Wizarding this- World Japan has announced a bunch of Halloween-themed festivities. They have this thing going on with Death Eaters, a Death Eaters attack type show. And what happens is you have to watch video, but to to, to get the to understand the full yeah. So like the lights fall on the castle, and the Death Eaters come in, and there's fire and spells, and it's it's like it's kind of like a Halloween Horror Nights type of thing. Um, the Death Eaters sort of take over Hogsmeade. And it's really cool. (laughs) But Uh, it's not coming to the Wizarding World parks in the U.S.
3: I'm so angry about this because I went to Hollywood Horror Nights last year in Orlando, and I thought it was really cool that um, the, the Harry Potter section is still up and running and going, but it's not scary so it's a great place for like the trade-off with kids like if the parents want to do hollywood horror nights and the kids are are too young to quite get it they're in kind of a safe area where they're not going to get scared um but this would this is like the coolest thing where it can it's a little halloweeny but it's not you know terrifying and i i want this so bad for america
0: (laughs) And uh, during the daylight hours, special spells performed and aimed at cauldrons and barrels at Hogsmeade will cause an eruption of candy. To spell forth, I just, I just, I just remember, like with the the
1: Wizarding World in Orlando, and when it first opened that first year, kind of trying to investigate and asking friends who had friends that worked there if there was gonna be anything for Christmas or Halloween, which is a which is huge in in Harry Potter, right? Yeah. Um. But there never was anything. I, I think the closest thing I heard was that at one point there would have been a Christmas tree, but it might have got nixed due to different religious stuff. I, I'm trying to remember hardly, but you know they never really ways. To celebrate
2: they, multiple holidays.
1: Though, yeah, I mean. yeah, but they never really did anything, and I always felt that it was a missed opportunity. Um, Even like September 1st, having some kind of party in front of Hogwarts for anyone who's in the park, you know, you never hear about this. And so this is the first time, six years later, five years later, uh, you know, when a, we hear about a Universal Park doing something for a season – uh, and the other, uh, bit, of course, is the fall themed food items, uh, which you can get in the three broomsticks in Japan, such as mountain shaped chocolate ganache and carrot cake. Ganache. Uh, so, and pumpkin gratin? Something? I don't know what that is. Mm-hmm. Um, um, yeah, like, it's just, this is stuff that should have already been in place and, now, Asian fans will be very happy to, and lucky to get it. <clears throat> um,
3: por- Cullen, por- Cullen points out in the chat that Harry Potter isn't allowed to link to Hollywood Horror Nights. Like Joe said, I will never have that. This will never be a, a scare zone. This will never be scary. But I think uh, this is, this is a nice dip in the water. I think to, yeah. to expand more during certain seasons like Mm, halloween and winter i i kind of what you said eric i'm so surprised that they don't do more for halloween in that section
2: yeah yeah no it's it's true and and i think that maybe this is a testing ground of sorts for the wizarding world to see how it's received uh in japan but just the fact that it is a missed opportunity uh, especially now that they have diagon alley I mean, they could really deck the whole thing out for oh, Halloween or for Christmas. And it doesn't have to be a scary environment by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, exactly. But you do have places like Nocturnality that you could use. And I, I just think that there, I'm sure there's a reason that we don't know about. But you would think that aside from just doing the celebration that they do every year in January, there has to be more marketing opportunities for them that they're not taking advantage of.
0: Eric uh Cullen, by the way tried to hook us up while we were at the Wizarding World but we missed him. That's right and but uh Greg did get us uh onto the train. Yeah. Um which was very nice. Yeah, it think. was. Yeah. By the way, I hear that hot butterbeer is now back at the Wizarding World Orlando, uh, so I'm flying so out there dead. to finally try this thing. Are you going there? No, no, but I oh. would love to.
3: Andrew, if you're I, if I, you go to the California one in the next like few weeks Ask them when it's coming, because it should be coming (laughs) in October.
0: What do you mean? You heard that it's coming into the Hollywood one?
3: No, but I I don't understand why it
1: wouldn't.
0: Oh, because it's smaller and blah, 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 blah. I'm going to stage a protest
1: in Hogsmeade. I I feel so bad that you've never (laughs) tried this hot butter. The hot butter beer is seriously the best butter beer that the park offers. I seriously looked that
3: up before the show, because I was like, oh, man, that should be coming out soon. and And I couldn't find anything about it for Hollywood.
0: Yeah. call yeah. <laughs> oh. mail me some. Thank you. We- <laughs> Two other Harry Potter stories to talk about this week. Um, Well, to mention. <laughs> yeah. There's not much to say. Yeah, aside. yeah, yeah. First of all, Harry Potter, the exhibition, is going to the Netherlands. So, people in the Netherlands, it's your time to check out all the Harry Potter props and stuff. Eric, it's this been has like- been around for a while, though, right? Yeah, it has. This has been like four years since we've talked about it on MuggleCast.
1: Um, but... Uh, yeah, I was surprised though in this press release. It's going to the Netherlands, but here are the places where it's been. And some of these places we never talked about or covered before. Uh, but it was in North America for most of it. It was in Boston, Toronto, Seattle, New York. Uh, but then also it was in Sydney, Singapore, Tokyo, Paris, Shanghai, and Brussels. Um, and it's probably going a
0: million more places
1: as well. Belgium. Come, yeah. Come yeah. back
4: to so Chicago. This is,
1: It's easy to forget uh, that this is out there with the, I think, much more publicized studio tour, uh, which is, of course, static. And, you know, it's at Leavesden, which fortunately, you know, I've been to. Have you got... Andrew, you went, right? Not to the studio tour. I went for set visits back in the okay. Harry Potter days, but... You gotta go. The studio yeah. tour, the in and Leavesden is is awesome, and I'm sure they'll probably do something for Fantastic Beasts because uh, that's also being filmed there eventually. Yeah. Um. But well, have you been to the Warner Brothers lot on Bur- at Burbank at all? Yes. Recently? They have a little Harry Potter exhibition because they have a room too. Yeah. And then the, this exhibition's
0: been traveling around. The nice thing about the traveling exhibition is that it's really the only way for harry potter fans around the world to really experience the world of harry potter firsthand you know what i mean because like because like this is kind of it's not a theme park but it's it's you can get up close and personal with these costumes with these props and whatever else they have available and that's really great for harry potter fans so if it's if it's near you and you haven't been to a theme park yet or or um the set the studio tour in England. This is a great thing to go to, I think. I think we have a
1: yeah. couple of uh, patrons, actually, from the Netherlands. Uh, so, uh, write in. Let us know what you think of it, um, if you've never been before. Let us know I've
0: if gone. a goat's on display. Mike is a goat <laughs> on display?
2: <laughs> it's <laughs> There yes. wasn't one the last time that I went, but that was several years ago uh, when it was here in New York. Uh, the one thing that I hope that they have changed uh, that was an issue um when it was here and and it probably was a case in the preceding cities was that they didn't allow you to take photos. Mm. Uh which oh. really kind of blows my mind because I would think now with the studio tour being open to the public that maybe that role changed a little bit. Um but maybe it had to do with the fact that not all the movies were released yet. I, I, I'm yeah, not like sure spoiler. <laughs> I don't know. Um but it made no sense to me. And, you know, we got yelled at for for trying to take some photos. I would think that if you pay money to go and experience this that
1: Yeah, yeah, I don't know.
2: You but anyway, no, I I will say it was it was a really cool experience to kind of walk through and see everything that they have to offer. I'm sure it's changed over the years a little bit and um it'd be great if they were to add some components of Fantastic Beasts to it as it oh, continues to to move around.
1: Yeah, that'd be great. I'll never forget the Bloody Baron outfit. That one was my favorite. The Because the intricacy is just over, like through the roof, and it has like half a second
3: of screen time. Yeah,
1: half a second, and (laughs) it's transparent, and it's in the background, like flying through. So completely ridiculous. But like,
3: I'm fairly certain I have an illegal photo on uh, Hagrid's (laughs) chair, but I have no clue where it is. Oh, nice! You on
1: Hagrid's chair would be about the funniest thing. I think
3: my friend, uh, you know her, Eric, Jana, and I went, and Jana is the same size as me, which is about ninety pounds, five foot tall, so. We looked pretty cool on that chair, let me tell you.
0: <laughs> Speaking we of delicious that. Wizarding World theme park treats, James mentions the Butterbeer ice cream, which I had when I was there in July. It It is quite good. And that's another thing that's not in Hollywood. And, but they have chocolate and vanilla. It's like, how hard would it be well, to bring the <laughs> Butterbeer flavor to Hollywood? That's ridiculous. So do, they,
1: do they not have a Florian Fortescue's? No, because that's Megan Alley. I know they don't, yeah, but they had Ollivander's and Hogsmeade.
0: Right. You well, n- you no, know? I mean, it's, it's, uh, no, they, they don't. It, they gotta bring the Butterbeer ice cream. Please. That's it. Ugh. Ugh. Please. Please.
1: Yeah, the ice cream's fine, but seriously, though, hot Butterbeer, man. Hot Butterbeer. Okay,
0: stop. Stop. You're killing <laughs> sorry. me. This sorry. Isn't I'm, sorry fair. I'm sorry. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> One other news story to talk about this week: Um Lego Harry Potter collection is getting remastered for PlayStation Four. This was a big announcement from Sony when they had like a whole PlayStation Four thing going on a couple weeks ago. Mm. Eric, did you play these games? I did. Yeah, I think I think they're I awesome. have them. I think
1: they're, I have them both, both the for best. Wii. <laughs> hmm. They're re- they're really fun, and it's um at times it's like with any with any of the Lego games like you can go through the story or you can just have a lot of fun blowing things up with spells. Yeah. Um, And like collecting the the studs. I
2: I mean, the attention to detail is just unbelievable uh, in these games. And yeah, we've spoken um, with Arthur Parsons, who was one of the leads on, on developing uh, the Lego Harry Potter games back in the day. Mm -hmm. And I think it was Eric, you spoke to him actually at the Wizarding World. Yeah, that's um, on a
1: that, that that's on a Muggle cast. I think there's is. there's an episode that's just it's David Yates and Arthur Parsons from that park. And yeah, he talks about the level of detail and like that's that's the thing that shocks me with this announcement because the the two DLCs that you're getting so it's um the remastered both games which is years 1 through 4 and years 5 through 7, both games on one disc which I don't know how they did. Uh, remastered and then also the DLCs include 10 new characters. The funny part about that is that there are literally 500 playable characters in each of these, you know, games to begin with. Like, you, you wouldn't even believe, like, how many playable characters there are. And they somehow managed to find 10 that they didn't do the first and second time around.
2: (laughs) (laughs) What I remember is, like, everybody has an alternate form. So, you know, a slughorn you can play as his armchair. Um, that he turns into, you know, when <laughs> Harry and Dumbledore show up in, in Half-Blood Prince. But right. yeah, it's just, the detail is unbelievable that they've gone into on these games. And they're all really passionate Potter fans. So they not only it, it follows the movies, um, but the detail is is really from when they went back into the books. And yes. They're, they're really passionate about the story itself. And I, I actually remember when I was playing the games, like I would direct message back and forth with Arthur Parsons asking him like oh how do I unlock this how do I unlock that <laughs> <this?"> <laughs> and funny. so it's it's cool to see that they're doing this this remastered version of it
0: okay so i have a ps3 i never ever ever use it i used to use it for blu-ray um yeah. but even that i don't anymore and uh, maybe i'll buy this game and finally play a video game on the ps3 <laughs> cuz this looks fun and it's only uh 20 bucks on amazon
1: just get the PS4 version cuz you're going to get um but I don't PlayStation 4. I know, I know, but but it's worth it because <laughs> PlayStation VR is coming out at like, oh, the no end nice. of this year and it's going
0: to be absolutely stunning. That's not for me. I don't like virtual reality. No? No, hell no.
3: I don't like my senses being Yeah. taken away.
0: <laughs> yeah. I I like to live in the real world. I don't need this virtual reality. Okay, all right. All right. To each all right, to right, each right, their, right. their own. To each their own. But what, what follow- I'm old. question. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
2: I do have about this is would they consider making a fantastic Beasts version oh
0: for probably if that's not on the way i'm it's oh. probably on the way it's gotta God. be it, that would be amazing
3: they'll probably I did wait pose the question until like
2: i did not get an answer yet
3: <laughs> well, <laughs> well how about you message alan parsons and ask him arthur arthur, arthur i'm sorry
0: alan is i did ask him i haven't got oh,
1: okay <laughs> Remember, i'm sure he can't say
0: Remember, they're still doing Lego video games for Star Wars The Force Awakens and the Marvel movies. So you, b- and Jurassic World. So you bet another Harry Potter one's yep. in the Once pipeline. Once Lego has
1: the rights, they, that's just, and it probably made them a billion bucks. Um, they'll probably go back. I, I don't know if they'll wait, you know? I don't know if they'll wait until, you know, three Fantastic Beast films are out or what, but. Yeah, they that, can't come that's soon possible. Enough. Maybe that's like also one of the reasons they're remastering this is to like. Remind people that this was a thing. And well, it this is
3: for dimensions, I believe. Or is this this isn't? No, dimension? it's not. Oh, okay. I'm no. sorry. Yeah, they are men. they are adding Harry Potter stuff, new Harry Potter stuff to dimensions, which is something completely different. But
0: it's like your their uh, open world. Yeah. Thing where you mesh yeah. a bunch of characters into one world from different. I gotta catch up
1: on that because I wanted the portal dimensions, but I never looked into it. So speaking of Fantastic Beasts, let's move on to our interview. Yeah, uh, so this was an interview we did with uh, MuggleNet.com's news uh, manager, Jessica Jordan, who in December visited the set of Fantastic Beasts and where to find them. And we were mentioning earlier, too, like uh, she wasn't able to record or uh, take pictures or anything like that. She basically just had a notebook and was forced to write down everything she was seeing as she was seeing it. So, this interview talks about some of the places she saw, uh, there was a very interesting room that she was led into for the interviews, which we'll talk about towards the end. Um, but it's really just a nice talk and insight into the upcoming Fantastic Beasts. We are here with the head of news stuff for MuggleNet, Jessica Jordan, who uh recently, or when when did this happen, Jessica?
4: Man, at the beginning of December 2015... Oh, wow! Okay, over
1: nine months ago. Babies have been conceived and been born since this happened. (laughs) Uh, But it was a... Jessica, you got to visit the set of Fantastic Beasts, and we are just finding out about this now, because you posted a comprehensive 12-article recap of what you found, saw, and heard over on MuggleNet. Yep. <laughs> well, first of all, nice work. It was a great joy to read all of that stuff.
4: Oh, thank you.
2: And I'm, I'm interested to see how this all compares to what Gina saw as well.
4: Oh, yeah. We have <laughs> a, a
1: little surprise up our sleeves, uh, Jessica, because Gina actually saw the test screening that uh, came out in Chicago a little while ago. Oh, cool. So both of you ladies know more about the film than Micah or me.
3: We collectively know too much. So
1: much.
4: (laughs) So much.
1: But the good news is, unlike Gina, Jessica, you're able to... The embargo's lifted, right? So you can talk about what you saw on set.
4: Right, yeah. I probably saw, you know, um, much less uh, than was revealed at the test screening, but I am allowed to talk about what I did see now.
1: (laughs) So what, um, to you was you know some of the highlights of the sets you talked about going through the central park zoo you talked about going through uh sort of the this um lower east side of manhattan and the makuza right building oh, yeah. uh what what sort of to you really stood out besides the fact i'm sure all of it
4: <laughs> right yeah so the two that i really liked the best were makuza obviously because it was it was really the grandest set that we visited um, a lot of the other ones, you know, it was cool to see because it was very sort of movie magic, but it would be, you know, just like 50 feet long. And it's like, wow, they're going to film the whole thing in here. But, um, Cooza, they had really put up this big grand hallway and they had all the like desks of the, you know, magical bureaucratic workers like covered in memos and everything. And it was just a really, um, nice time to sort of get to, walk around and really be inside the world because all the other ones we did was very much like, I am on the set of Fantastic Beasts and that's so cool. Um but in Makuza it was a big enough set that I was like, Whoa, I'm an in Fantastic Beasts.
3: Yeah. Were there were there sections of Makuza that you could um kinda go and and touch and and look a little more into and onto? Or was it you need to stay behind this line and look around.
4: Oh, they let us go everywhere. I mean, it wasn't, you know, it's not the whole building, it's sort of the main entry hall, and then bordering mm-hmm. the hall were a bunch of desks. But we were allowed to walk, um, anywhere, and so you know, we could go to the desks and read. You know, they had all kinds of things like you know, uh, paper airplane breakout on level four, and you know, threat level <laughs> assessments, and like urgent meetings. You know, we were allowed to read. All of sort of the little things that had been created to, to lend the set a, a sense of authenticity. Um, so there really wasn't anything that was off limits for the things that they showed us, but I do think that most of what we were allowed to see is kind of uh, peripheral to the main story because they weren't going to give us too much. Um,
1: right, right. Yeah.
2: Now, what about the, that statue, though? The, there's a picture that we have here of a Salem witch trial statue. And it, it reminds me a bit of what we saw when the ministry had been taken over, that magic is might because of the solemnness of it. So I was mm-hmm. wondering if, if there was sort of any comparison there or you, you thought of that when you saw that.
4: Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's exactly what I thought, actually. I was like, whoa, it's like the American Fountain of Magical Brethren or something like that. Um, and it was actually a lot of fun, uh one of the things I was gonna mention that the fun part about the set visit, or one of the great things, was that you got to kind of be a detective um because they would take us into these places like Makuza and some of the other ones and they would be like, Here, you know, look around, but they didn't tell you anything. Um <laughs> you know, you could kind of glean one or two things if you're just like chatting to the representative who was leading us around, but they're very tight lipped. It's like, here you can look at this, but we're not going to tell you what anything is or how it's used in the movie or anything like that. And so when I was there, I was like, wow. And maybe, you know, I wonder if this is a, a, a Salem Memorial because like they look like they're in Puritan clothing and like, you know, drawing all these connections to the little bit that we had learned, you know, think back to last December, we knew almost nothing about the movie. And then of course, just a, a two or three months after the set visit, when I still wasn't allowed to say anything, Pottermore, like, released uh, the piece on the statue with, like, the picture of it. And they were like, the Salem Memorial statue. And I was like, I was gonna... I knew that. And I wasn't allowed to tell anyone. <laughs> um, that's, yeah.
1: that's great. The other thing that just impresses me is you talked about uh, feeling a bit like a detective. But you, they really only let you take in, what, a notebook, right? To, like, mm-hmm. write down what you were seeing?
4: yeah. I thought so like, that, you had to
1: be really observant.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I tried to be I was writing, you know, furiously, and I wrote the report, you know, two of the 12 articles were just like, this is what I saw. I wrote ah. that immediately when I got back, um, because I didn't want to forget everything, like anything, I didn't want to forget anything. So I took as detailed notes as possible, and then just wrote it right away. And even going back and getting it ready for publication, I was like, oh, yeah, I kind of forgot about that.
2: Now, is it, is it true you walked from an accountant's office to a frozen lake? I mean, some would say that they could be one and the same, depending
3: on <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> Michael, how Micah, a okay. Zing! Yikes. All the accounting listeners are... <laughs> yeah, Fronted. We're going to get
1: hate mail now.
2: <laughs> well, the reason I, I bring that up is because I think we did see a scene from the lake in one of the trailers, didn't we?
1: Yeah. Well, there was something th- luminous uh, beneath the lake. Yes. Yeah.
4: Yes, but, that is correct. Yeah, you can, I I think I put in a couple of screen grabs from the trailer, because of course when they showed it to us, it was like the most nothing set. You know, we had just walked through <laughs> New York and whatever, and they're like, oh yeah, and here's you know, uh, the lake set, <laughs> and it was literally, like it was it was in winter, and I had been coming from massachusetts and i was like this doesn't look like much you know it's a frozen lake with a bridge i can just see that at home um but then it was exciting in the trailer you did see as you guys noted there's something sort of glowing under the ice and Mm -hmm. um there's a moment where newt kind of thrusts like a helmet thing into jacob's hands and is like you know your skull is fragile and something so um
3: Yes, the, the photos you posted are very, I, I agree. They're very um, accurate to what, what must the be sets going are. on yeah. in that scene. <laughs> they're, they're, they, they, the, the screen grabs were very um, apropos. Mm. The, uh, You're
2: still under embargo, aren't you?
3: I know. <laughs> I'm, tra- I'm trying to have a, a good poker face. <laughs> um, it's hard. It's very hard. But I will say, they, the, the, artwork that you found of just New York in general from the 20s um, matches what you see in the film, which, honestly, I don't think that's that big of a giveaway, because if you pause and screen grab the trailer enough, you're you're going to see these images and you're going to say, right. yes, that looks like that. So. Yeah.
4: Yeah, that was one yeah. thing, too, that was kind of neat. It was like, well, I'm not getting anything from Warner Brothers that I can post, but you know... I can just leave this postcard of nineteen, you know, early nineteen hundreds New York here and form Uh, your own conclusions.
1: That that train station, the bit about the train station in part two of the set report, really, 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 really really stuns me. Um, Because you talk about Stuart Craig not even being able to get access to the actual—is it the City Hall train station, which is right near where Micah works? I imagine. Um, you know, still in existence, kind of, I assume it's in disrepair, but it's closed. Like the fact that Stuart Craig couldn't even get (laughs) access to it and they had to build a set that was a replica of it. But, you know, based on, I'm sure hundred year old city documents, like that's just really cool simultaneously to see that all of these sets were rich, like so rich in detail, but there is an element of guesswork to it all the same. And mm-hmm. like the fact that they're recreating New York, but not filming in New York because New York today wouldn't even look like it used to. Uh, all of that is just kind of, I think, movie magic at its yeah. at its finest. I mean,
2: you're you're talking about ninety years ago, yeah. Um, so I, I I would think, I would hope that New York would be a little bit different. Um, but you know, in in reading Jessica's the, the interview that you had posted with with David Yates, I mean, talking about this exact point that they did a ton of research and development specifically to 1926. And I think that, you know, from everything that we're hearing, and Gina, maybe you can lift the embargo slightly here, from what you saw um, in the film, uh, did it seem like you were in the 1920s? And and same goes for Jessica when you were on set.
4: Uh, Jessica, you go first. Okay, sure. So um, one quick thing about the City Hall subway, it is astounding that they weren't able to get in, con- like considering these are... Pretty much some of the hugest names ever that they couldn't who, even. Who are they opening it take for? A look.
1: Who can go down there? Well,
4: That's did, what I want. Clearly, do not to. say like, "Hi, I'm Joe Rowling. Can <laughs> I get in that subway, please? The thing is, I guess not. But it was confusing to me too because some people have gone down there in more recent years. Like I think many of the photos I put into the article were um, photographers who you know that that type of internet article that's like you know gaze into this abandoned subway station like amazing type of thing yeah. um where they had gotten in somehow um and but yeah i don't i don't really know too much uh, about that but it did it did feel a lot like the 1920s like it was very exciting when you're sort of walking through the the city streets all the shop windows Um, you know, in department stores, it was 1926 fashions and in the little diner we stopped in, it was 1926 prices for food. So, you know, like 10 (laughs) cents, things like that. Good luck with
2: that in New York
4: now. (laughs) Yeah, right. Um, so yeah, they, they paid, you know, this is what everybody says about the Harry Potter and now the Fantastic Beasts films is that the production just pays so much attention to detail. And that was definitely true from what I saw.
3: Yes, I... When I saw it, that was one of my, like, favorite things about it was immediately I knew where I was. I knew what time it was. I, I, that was one of my favorite parts because I love that time period and the fashion. And it was, you, that was one of the, the unspoken characters of it was the fashion, I think. And that really brought me into it as well as when the camera's kind of going down the street and you you just feel like you're there. Mm-hmm.
1: It's no surprise to all of us, I'm sure, that the sets were, in fact, this detailed. Of course, it's nice to get the reassurance. Uh, but in building the the set too, like, it's just ultimately, you know, a set is what the actors can play on. So I like that it's, it's probably, uh, and I think you'd said this, Gina, when we asked you earlier, but, um, you know, it's kind of a marriage between... The set doing the talking for the time period and also the actors who can play older or characters from long ago that I'm sure it's, you know, I'm sure it's sort of both aspects that make you, that really immerse you in this time period.
3: Yes. That's, yeah, that, that was kind of what I was saying before, uh, in the previous episode when I spoke about it and now was yes, I felt like it just looking at them, looking at the, the space, but then when certain characters come out, you, you knew where you were. Um, I had a question about detail for Jessica though. Sure. Was there, was there any detail anywhere on any of the sets that, that you, that like just struck you and you thought that was the coolest added detail?
4: Oh man, let's see. I mean, there were so many things. Um, I guess, again, to go back to Makusa, the thing that, well, and in the accountant's office, too, because they had a lot of different things lying around. Like, there was one piece of paper that was just, like, the, the scale to convert. I, I can't even remember what they were. I, if I had my oh. notebook with me, I could look it up. But just, like, some invented thing. And it had, but it was, like, a whole system of things worked out. And honestly, I don't know that that's going to be, like, featured in the movie. But just... All, all the things there that aren't a part of the main plot that they had took the time to imagine and then put there were really incredible.
1: Yeah, you, you uh, wrote about the newspaper headlines, uh, obviously the ones that are a little bit more tied into events from the film, like, manholes burst from the streets and in freak incident, experts mm-hmm. stunned, um, you know, but like all of this other stuff that, about witchcraft, about sort of the peripheral, what what the wizarding world is facing... Uh, you had a brilliant line in here somewhere about it's clear that, you know, Newt's issue aren't the only problems that this wizarding world is experiencing. That there are other completely tangential, you know, issues that are being covered that you can see, you know, if, if only you can look closely enough at, you know, this other sort of desk paperwork and, and these other newspapers here.
4: Yeah. Yeah. It was, I don't know. It really did, and one of the actors had mentioned, probably more than one of them mentioned in their interviews too, that everything that the production team put on the ground for them helped bring those performances out of them. So you know, they would action would be called, and they'd walk onto the streets of New York, and you could see like a couple having a fight or somebody changing a tire, Um, and that (laughs) then that that puts them in that world. You know, they uh, then. Catherine Waterston discussed that, yeah. Yeah, I thought I thought that that was who it was, but I was like, oh, what if it was Alice <laughs> um, And that's just really incredible. And it's true, too, I, you know, they're allowed to say much less about the uh, wizarding aspects of things, but I, I'm sure that that carries over to those kind of sets, too. It's like it's a lot easier to talk with a straight face about your, you know, wand-waving abilities when it's all around you. Um, mm yeah, I
2: think that's that's one of the benefits, too, and I know we've had the discussion about you bringing back David Yates, but the fact that you have David Heyman and Yates and Stuart Craig and, and a lot of the same team that produced the Potter films, I think the level of detail was so important to them when they were going through and creating the first eight films for Potter that it seems like there's a lot of that carryover for Fantastic Beasts.
4: Yeah, definitely. I'm I'm happy that they have so much of the same team because... I sort of, I'm not really the biggest fan of the Harry Potter movies. Like, obviously, I I went to see them all, and, like, I've developed a fondness for them over the years, but, like, I really loved the books, and so the movies, in some ways, were letdowns to me, except in the ways in which the Wizarding World was designed and executed. And so, for Fantastic Beasts, I'm super excited that they have that team coming back, um, because they did such an amazing job the first time, and this time they don't have to adhere to, to a book, you know? They can write right. for for a film, and so I think it's going to be really incredible.
1: Yeah, it really seems like their talents are most suited this time around. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I kind I see exactly what you're, what you're saying there, and I, I think, yeah, that's sort of my hope going into Fantastic Beasts as well, that it's just, you know, because it ex- it will only exist as is, um Although I know we're getting also the screenplay sent out, but you know, whatever. I have to say also, I love the, in the interview with David Heyman, all of the nice things he had to say about everybody. He's just like such a a cheery guy. And like, he had a lot of in-depth stuff to say about the characters like this for, you can't call it a trio, I guess. Did, did anybody ever really call it like the quartet? Uh,
4: well, I think some of the press, you know, we were trying to find a quick hand to refer to them. So I think we, uh. We we may have thrown about quartet a time or two. Quartet. <laughs> you
1: it's could like just say tri- squad. Trio oh <laughs> squad. squad, yeah. Trio <laughs> was so easy now yeah. that I look at it and I'm like looking back. <laughs> it's like trio was was what they were. They were the trio. So these four actors, uh Heyman uh discusses that they're the sort of the characters are all outsiders, which I thought was really cool. And he draws the comparison between uh sort of the other characters like, like the trio who had, you know, were outsiders, but found each other. And I'm sure that that has to do with like the plot of the movie. But for me, it also, I think connects to the audience. And I think who goes and sees the, you know, these sorts of films and like, look, gone are the days when we would be, uh, chastised or, or thought geeky, you know, for liking Harry Potter. I think Harry Potter's come around, you know, Mm -hmm. the world has come a long way since even 15 years ago. Um, But I I like I I thought that really resonated with me. And it was it seems cool that like from what the actors too said about each of their characters that, you know, these are characters who they're set apart by time. But they're you know, there's still a lot of revel uh, relevance there Mm. um, for for like today.
4: Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's very true. It's sort of, you know, I hadn't thought about it in that way until he was sort of speaking to it, and then it was like you could tell just reading between the lines even of what everyone else was saying that it was really an underlying theme, like probably something they talked talked a lot about in a, you know script read-throughs and things like that.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Yeah. One of the other things, too, and, and this kind of falls in line with what you were just talking about, but specifically for Newt, right? It was saying, Heyman said that he was more comfortable with creatures than with people, uh, most likely and, and it, that ties into the whole kind of outsider um piece of it right it remind me a little bit of of bill weasley yeah
1: um, or charlie so, too or charlie oh, yeah, sorry charlie, yeah, charlie not yeah, bill
2: yeah, yeah. actually both of them <laughs>
1: probably both no, yeah bill
3: was bill was cool bill was fine with everyone
1: i don't know he was he locked himself up in tombs in in egypt for years um but no, the other thing uh, Heyman said about Eddie was that he was their first and only choice for Newt.
3: That was fascinating to me. I don't yeah. know how that's
1: possible. I mean, I get it, but I kind of also don't get it. I um, call Bo.
2: Oh.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I wondered how true that statement was. I think he is what they wanted, but I I don't always believe the one and only choice for for casting. Yeah,
4: I I was kind of surprised by that too. And I think um, probably only, you know, just a little bit disappointed. I I was, um, with a lot of other people, I was very excited to see what they might do with Newt. Um, That maybe he, they would cast an actor of color or they would, they would cast somebody who was you know unknown that they they had an opportunity there to make something really really interesting happen and Eddie Redmayne obviously you know I I wasn't really convinced until I saw the pictures come out but of course it looks like he's going to be amazing as nude and it's nothing against him but it was when David Heyman said that I was like really you never even thought about doing something a little Uh, bit more outside the box
1: I can see how that's a double edged, like saying that would be a double edged sword, because it does, it does excite you to like see him in action. Yeah. Um, he said, uh, here's another quote from Heyman You don't cast someone for their silhouette, but he's got a wonderful silhouette. Yeah. That tall, thin <laughs> dot, dot, dot. And he's great, so we began with him.
3: That's like, like. On the, in the Fantastic Beast book, the drawing of Newt is a tall, thin, older wizard i don't
1: remember this drawing at all i
3: i do maybe i'm thinking of something else i could be very wrong but i i thought that that was a drawing in the book so i did kind of picture him as as taller and thinner i don't love eddie redmayne um but i i think he and the rest of the cast uh were were picked perfectly i i really do
1: but certainly seemed that way from these interviews too, that they like, uh, Heyman also talks about Queenie, uh, and how Allison Sue all like, when she smiles, the world lights up. Heyman has a lot of really nice things to say, yeah. uh, about everybody. Um, but yeah, like, it, it, it seemed like they really found a cast that they were able to like, I, I, this this whole production, I don't know. I would have just died if I went to Leavesden and saw this mm-hmm. and heard everybody saying such nice things. I would have just died. It's,
2: it's <laughs> interesting that, that you say that about the cast because I think there's a part in the Yates interview where he wasn't entirely sure about coming back because you know everyone went their separate ways at the end of Potter, right? Um, but it seems as if they have found sort of the foundation of of a new. Family within the wizarding world that they can now move forward with, and that's not always the case. I mean, any time you do spinoffs, and and I I use that term lightly for Fantastic Beasts, but you know it, it's always going to be considered part of the Potter world, even if Harry has absolutely nothing to do with the storyline. So I, I I you know it, it's I'm sure they did a fair bit of research even if newt was the first pick from day one no matter what in putting this cast together so gina the fact that you said that they cast them perfectly it's it's good news
3: yeah they they're they there's definite chemistry with uh the the quartet i feel but
4: uh, <laughs> <laughs> nothing there's, else can be nothing else can yeah. be said <laughs> there's one thing
1: uh there's one thing jessica before we let you go uh i want to ask and we'd be remiss if we didn't and i'm sure our listeners would hate us i want to ask about the beasts because tell us about this room that you went to with all this concept art
4: oh yeah i mean this this was amazing this was uh, this was a, a treasure trove they took us um when we left sort of the outside sets. They were like, "Okay, now we're gonna go. We're gonna go do a couple interviews." And so, you know, we're just following them around the massive Leavesden lot, like it's, it, I mean, unimaginably huge through corridors and things. Um, and we get to this room that's locked. <laughs> like, we're supposed to have interviews in there, but it's locked. And the, so, you know, the people <laughs> leading us around have to like call and like get in. Like, clearly, there's some top secret stuff in here because it's not just left open. Um, and it's just a boardroom, like a meeting room that you might find in any office, but every wall is just papered with uh, different concept art and props from the f- film. You know, one section of one wall was all the beasts that I mostly, you know, I I, I tried to copy down the names of everyone <clears throat> and where I could just do like a succinct, this is kind of what it looked like. Um, but there were also things like you have to have there were wand permits for uh, Tina and Queenie hanging in there, which had all kinds of fun information, like their height and uh, uh, their address. Uh, You know, we had seen the uh, apartment set earlier from afar. And then it's like, well, I'll write that down because that is where (laughs) that is the address of that apartment Um, posters. Like I think I mentioned some of the wanted posters that were hanging up there. scenes of sketches of different sets and, um, Characters and just More than you could take in Really you know so they let us look around for like Five minutes and then they, they brought in uh, David Heyman and then it was Just you know focus interview. on the interview Like don't give them too much time to look Around you took in
1: so much Here's here's the wanted posters I'll just mention right here Uh, The wanted wizards were Ernestia Abator, aka Red Panther uh, Jeremias Wardcut, Quote, bearing Wand, most menacing and extremely dangerous, and Lancaster Pike, A.K.A. Magic Joe, wanted for embezzlement of spells and nomad murder. Mm. Uh, so, Ominous. right? It doesn't even like even if these characters don't show up in the film, that level of detail is insane. Right?
4: Yeah.
2: Very Death Eater like.
1: Yeah.
3: Um, my my one question about this room. Did it appear as though they had taken things down for you? Like like
4: there were holes in the walls? You know, it's like blank it, space like, on those walls. Like, space on the walls. It didn't look like they had taken things down, but it the I think as is the nature with such rooms that are are meant probably for brainstorming, that there's often like things on top of things and stuff like that.
0: And so okay.
4: I think that they it didn't you know, it wasn't like there's a hole here, like they have concealed some important information <laughs> uh-huh. from Yeah, us. yeah,
3: yeah. That's why I was like, hmm,
4: right, Were, I wonder. But they, Were but there they beds in could there? Have, you know, like, oh well, we'll just like take this little thing down. But I, you know, I don't think that they did. But who knows? Who knows?
2: Mm-hmm. Were there beds? No. <laughs> Because I'm assuming like this is where that they locked up Stuart Craig and his design (laughs)
4: team weeks on end. You know, thinking about it, I'm not even sure what they, what this room, what it must be. You know, some kind time type of place where they had meetings about what was going to happen in the movie. But it definitely it wasn't like the design workshop. Like, man, I would have loved to have seen that. Mm -hmm. Have to wait till they open the Fantastic Beasts leg of the studio tour, I guess. Yeah.
2: Oh, I do bad. have one other question. I, I, I really want to know more about the blind pig.
4: Mm. Right, yeah. I mean, there's not so much more, I think, um, besides that it is the uh, wizard speakeasy from watching the trailers over and over again trying to get my screenshots. There's a moment where um, Catherine Waterston is wearing like this beautiful gown, At first I thought that maybe she and Newt were going to like that fancy fundraiser um, because we had seen sort of on the news side of things, extras dressed in like fancy clothes at one of the Liverpool sets. But after watching the trailer over and over again, I think that that is her um, and Newt going into the blind pig speakeasy. And you could see um, in the trailer when she knocks on this, door with like the this blonde woman who like winks or something I think that's the secret entrance and then you do get a glimpse inside of uh, sort of the goblin who runs it uh, played or you know voiced by uh, Ron Perlman and you can kind of see his, his, the resemblance of his features in um, the character there and then there's I know there's a band that plays I think that the concept art maybe had the band information but I'm not recalling it right now Well, they
2: need to make this thing happen at the Wizarding World in
1: Orlando
4: sometime Uh, soon. I'm sure it's coming. It's just slowly going to take over the entire park.
1: (laughs) Universal Studios of Harry Potter. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Well, Jessica, I want to thank you very much for setting aside the time during your big move, cross-country, no less, to talk to us about this set visit. And I want the listeners to know... Uh, again, there are a dozen articles on MuggleNet. They're all um, collected together. Check it out. It's called MuggleNet Visits the Set of Fantastic Beasts, and they're all by Jessica. Um, published earlier this week on the 12th, and really just amazing, amazing mm-hmm. detail, fantastic work. Great nice. interviews. So, yeah, great interviews, super impressed. Uh, with everything you've done and thank you for being so generous with your time and talking with us
4: of course it was very exciting i've had to be quiet for so long
1: (laughs) shout to the heavens how cool it was
4: it was so cool there you go
2: (laughs) and we'll be sure to put links uh to your reports and your interviews in in our show notes
4: great thank
0: you so much thank you Alright. Thank you, Jessica. Yeah, I,
1: I thought that was really insightful. Uh Micah asked a lot of good questions, and actually Gina, you did too, um, about all that stuff, and I'm still curious about that that statue and about what that means in Makusa. If
0: if anything, yeah, it made me more excited for this film, which is only two months away. So let's move on to a couple of questions we have from our dear patrons. We asked on oh. Patreon in the past week us to talk about we got a lot of feedback our patreon community is really active which is amazing thanks to everybody who keeps submitting questions um we're going to do a couple of them here and then we're going to do the rest in bonus muggle cast for september this first one comes from gregory now people again our, our community is very engaged and we love that but people are writing long messages and just for podcasting sake it's it's not best to read the the full messages so from gregory a part of his question. He said, I'd like to know what is your opinion on movie adaptations of the books, specifically about having a good adaptation versus a good movie. What do you think is more important in the context of the series and its movie versions? Mm -hmm.
2: Well, and it's just important to add that he goes on to say, and to your point, Andrew, I'm just summarizing, um, that he really enjoyed the third movie. I know it's not one of our favorites, or at least for the most of us on the show uh, it's not, um, but he brought up a lot of good points as it related to it being a good movie versus being a good adaptation
1: yeah. this this question and specifically like feedback about the third movie it always rubs me like the wrong way or ruffles my feathers because i i probably agree with the idea that the the third movie is the most cinematic or that at the time it was certainly the best real adult movie but i always side on the uh the line of adaptation matters the most because if you have these books which are just unstoppable fun uh and if you were true to them and adapted them it wouldn't no matter what would not come up with a shitty movie or a sucky movie or an uninteresting movie uh so i do still hold prisoner of Azkaban accountable for all the things that were left on the cutting room floor and not adapted and i'll never get over it but <laughs> what think- do you guys think
0: I think what's in most important is just getting across the messages of the book. Right. What was J.K. Rowling trying to tell readers? What are the themes? What are the, what messages did they want, that you want the characters to get across? Adapting those. We know we've spoken time and time again that the books are not, the movies are not perfect adaptations of the books. And it's actually kind of funny we we're talking about this right after this Fantastic Be Set visit, because I know in some of the interviews conducted on set, one of the things that Heyman, the producer, and Yates, the director, was saying was uh thank goodness we're not adapting a book this time because there are no <laughs> expectations like that. It what you yeah. see is what JK Rowling wrote. <laughs> it is a one hundred percent it's an adaptation, one hundred percent of yeah. her script. <laughs> so I think what's most important is getting across the messages, including some classic lines. You have to you have to do that because people just really love these books. And, um, and yeah, and, 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 and not diverting the Harry Potter movies, say what you will about them as adaptations, but they never diverted away from the books. Truly. You look at how you, but you look at what's happened to Divergent, for example, that has gone so off base from what Veronica Roth wrote in the books. It's just disgusting. Oh, wow.
3: Yeah. And ultimately, probably ultimately sank the, uh,
0: the fan, the franchise in the fan The family.
3: franchise, yeah. yeah. I, I, mm-hmm. my issues with the Potter movies are when they change things for no good reason. Like some of, like a, the third movie, I have such anger towards because they changed and added in certain things that were unnecessary in my mind to let go of things that I wanted in the movie so
1: i always think they really tried hard to come up with explanations like the thing with the third movie that that they always say is uh Quarone convinced and and everybody wanted to make a movie that like specifically focused on harry's journey and somehow the story of harry's parents being friends together at school with this killer uh wasn't part of the harry cinematic journey um but that's at least what they say that you know anything that was not directly related to Harry being a teenager and struggling uh, was nixed. And that's their sort of excuse. But they always seem to have a reason for anything that was ever cut. Uh Pacing was another big one. Uh, movies four through eight as well. Um You know, th- it always seemed like they-, they really did care and really did, especially after movie three, to like explain why things got cut and not adapted.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I would almost bring in um the Game of Thrones comparison here too, because you know, the difference is now you have the showrunners going in a direction um where they are creating their own story. You know, they're killing off characters who may not be dead in the book series. And, you know, I, I don't think as much lib um there wasn't as much liberty taken with the Potter series. I mean, I think we're, we're all so close to the books that there are, of course, things that we see that we don't really like, things that we would have liked to have been included. But I think as far as adaptations go, they they stayed true to the core. Um, and, you know, it, it, at the end of the day, we may not like the movie itself or, or a couple of the movies, but I, I think what Heyman and Yates did particularly the Yates, because he was there the longest as a director, is, is they stayed true to J.K. Rowling's writing, same for Steve Clovis. And, and I think Rowling was such an integral part of what was going on. I think you know, why you see so much issue, and, and it may be similar to what you're saying, Andrew, with the Divergent series, is that they've now taken it and, and they've gone in such a different direction. And I think that that's what angers people more, is that you're, you're messing with the actual story itself.
0: Yep, yep, yep. Let's move on to our next comment. This is from Diana. She talks about Cursed Child. My biggest struggle was accepting that Voldy and Bella had a child. <clears throat> spoiler alert <laughs> i guess you should have said
1: that first <laughs> well
0: everybody come on you gotta have read it yeah. by now uh yeah. jk rowling did such a wonderful job trying tying everything together in the seven books that it doesn't leave much room for an eighth story where things are added into the original plot and how did so few people know about this child and uh she adds that I think so she says, Do you guys think this is all coincidence and part of why the writers of The Cursed Child chose this as a viable plot, or do you think in the back of J.K. Rowling's mind she planned on Voldemort having a child but never wrote it into the books? So I've wondered about this too. I think we touched on it a little bit on the show here. I uh, I want to believe that J.K. Rowling has had this in mind all along, because there were kind of hints in the book that this we, we knew that Bellatrix was in love with Voldemort. We never saw Voldemort in love. Yeah. And, and so, so there's that part of it. Maybe Voldemort was, <clears throat> it sounds weird to say, but looking to celebrate. I don't know. One, his return. Return. one of his victories. His yeah, one of his victories by by having sex with Bellatrix. I'm just not sure. Usually, um, he
1: celebrates his returns by making horcruxes, not babies. Um,
0: could it have like- been that he wanted to have a baby to make a horcrux? <laughs>
3: Maybe <laughs> Bellatrix wanted to make a horcrux.
0: Yeah, I just I want to believe that JK Rowling had this in mind. I don't want. I would be disappointed if Jack Thorne or John Tiffany went to J.K. Rowling and said, hey, what about Voldemort and Bellatrix having a kid? And J.K. Rowling just shrugged and was like, yeah, okay, sure, fine, we can have that in. <laughs> What do you three think? Well, uh, D-
2: Diana does a good job of of kind of laying out some reasoning in terms of timing, and and I think that it's just, it's it's difficult to like you were saying Andrew i i just it, i have a hard time believing it just because of Voldemort who he was and the fact that we know that he's incapable of love so that also paints this as a very challenging situation to try and discuss because if it's not love is it is it a forced situation um even if it is Bellatrix who we know is is enamored by voldemort so i I feel like it's a it's a slippery slope to go down to to have this kind of discussion um but it's been written and it's part of this play and i I just just knowing what we have learned from the books it it just doesn't seem possible to me, so I agree with her that it's probably the most difficult thing to accept out of this story.
1: Uh yeah, I I just tend to agree with everything that's been said already.
3: Yeah, the fact that Voldemort didn't even have hair cuz he didn't want anyone polyjuicing as him. Um I can't I can't imagine him wanting to procreate and have an heir. I just can't. He's too Well, we all
0: make mistakes.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I now I want a shirt that says uh make more not babies. Oh
0: yeah. <laughs> Is that canon? Voldemort didn't have hair because he didn't want to. I apologies? swear
3: that's canon. I swear. Hmm. I can. I'll look that yeah. up. But
0: yeah. Oh, and when I say make mistakes, I, I, I'm not saying JK Rowling made a mistake. I'm saying Voldemort may have made a mistake. Like yeah, yeah. He. It was just maybe a moment of weakness for him. Hmm. And he was like, well, maybe hooking up with objects would be fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, you it, try it's, everything. It's once. a good
2: question <laughs> to ask her, though. I, I, I would. Think yeah. that that's a a good question to pose to her, um, you know, when she comes on the show, <laughs> or or, <laughs> I you or just in the future,
3: coming.
2: on on you know during one of these events that she does where she takes questions, yeah, um, from fans because I think it was pretty well established um, throughout the series and and just from other questions that have been posed to her that this was a this was an individual that was not capable of understanding um, love so um, but Diana does point out uh, she did see the cursed child and thought it was uh, really really good so she recommends all of us going to see it
0: I will check it out I, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, um, I will still see it we're I gonna talk about it. yeah you absolutely positively need yeah. to see it at some point uh, yeah. I think everybody should. It's, I don't, I don't know how yet, but whether it's in New York or whether it's on a DVD, uh, everybody should see it no matter what you thought of the script book. And I think it, nobody could resist that. I, I think. Um, what was I going to say about this? Oh, we're going to talk about this a little bit more in bonus muggle cast because I've come around a little bit on the Cursed child. I think my views have evolved. I'm no. not sure if I'm accepting it as canon anymore. No. I, I'm accepting it like I accepted I like I accept the story in Harry Potter and Forbidden Journey the ride. It's there for <laughs> entertainment purposes and that's it. <laughs> right. So that's we'll, interesting. I I think it's freeing if you do that. We'll we'll talk about that more on on Patreon. We're also by the way going to talk about the new Pottermore ebooks cuz those came out. Yes. But we're going to see what's up with those. What's going on there? Uh but before we wrap up today's episode, we have an email here. Eric, um, get ready. We're going back to where we were during episode 300. Oh, this no. Is, this is from Anonymous. They, they they didn't want to reveal themselves. <laughs> That's how dirty this email is. <laughs> Kidding. It sounds like it's from Noah. <laughs> Who's <laughs> Noah? MuggleNet Noah? What are you talking yeah, about? Yeah. He's on, he's on a little more. Oh, okay. Uh, dear MuggleCasters, So I was rereading Chamber of Secrets over the weekend, and I came across another instance of where J.K. Rowling may have included a reference to some mature or perhaps immature behavior. The Mandrakes. They started out as babies and mature throughout the books until they are mature enough to be used to make the antidote for the petrified students. Page 234 tells us their status in the maturity process. Quote, Madame Pomfrey was pleased to report that the Mandrakes were becoming moody and secretive, meaning that they were fast leaving childhood. The moment their acne clears up, they'll be ready for repotting again, Harry heard her telling Filch kindly one afternoon. So they, end quote, so they become more moody, secretive, and have acne? Hmm. Hitting puberty? I think so. On page 251, we learn a bit more about the Mandrake maturity process. Quote, and in March, several of the Mandrakes threw a loud and raucous party in the Greenhouse Tree, three, in Greenhouse Three. This made Professor Sprout very happy. The moment they start trying to move into each other's posts, we'll know they'll fully mature, she told Harry. Firstly, they threw a party. Secondly, the Mandrakes start trying to move into each other's pots. Wonder what they'll try to do in each other's pots. Sounds suspicious. Looks like the Mandrakes want to fool around a bit. What this (laughs) teaches us is that apparently Mandrakes are the only characters to hit puberty throughout the books. No one else does. No other characters get acne or has her period or gets awkward boners or anything like that. Talk about unrealistic characters. So there you go. There's more, more hidden secrets within the books.
3: Thank you, Elisa and Laura, for that
0: email. <laughs> <laughs> Eric, what do you make of this? Email. I want to know your opinion on this.
1: I don't, I don't think it's hidden. I think I, that's actually, it's a source of great joy. <laughs> uh, to read, cha- to read a chamber of secrets and see that these mandrakes are, it's, it's completely a allegory or metaphor or yes, these mandrakes are just like human teenagers getting acne. And, you know, as they grow climbing into each other's pots, I, I you know, I guess it's dirty. I, I guess, um, it's certainly right to point out that it's something that's unique in terms of the Harry Potter book. Sure. Um, but I, I just find it really funny when you're reading Chamber of Secrets and going through this and, and seeing that the, the Mandrakes are basically taking on a life of their own. And then because they're still plants, they have to chop them up to save the school. Um, so there's like a really kind of weird cliffhanger where you're like, well, weren't they sentient and should we really be chopping them up right now? Yeah. Um,
0: I don't know. It's kind of interesting. Not a single awkward boner in the Harry Potter series. I was just thinking about that. Hmm. Really? What's up with that? I don't know.
1: All mm. right.
0: Well
4: <laughs> hmm. I <I'm> trying <laughs> Let's, to come up
0: with a joke, but I, I got nothing. <laughs> Eric, why don't you wrap up the show today? You you're teasing us so there's been some fun things coming into the P.O. box. What are you what are you talking about?
1: Yeah, so we have uh, just uh, four items here that I wanted to bring out. I have photos, you guys, so I'm sharing them in the document right now. Uh, insert image. We got just the most artistic um, and unimaginable photos here uh, of... Actually, no, I took them, but envelopes. The envelope is that I'm looking at right now, which is from Michaela... Um, who is from Winnipeg in Canada, drew an owl, uh, on a branch on the front carrying this letter on the front of the envelope. So let me just, uh, share this with you guys. Um, here we go on the front. It's uploading. Oh, cool. She drew a whole owl. She drew a whole owl. And then look at what's on the back. It's a goat. It, it's not a goat. Uh, damn! <laughs> it's actually this oh, wow. is this is harder to see because I made it too small when I uploaded. Um, okay. but it's a picture of Harry, Ron, and Hermione, and Crookshanks is showing us his butt. Um,
0: why, but why is Crookshanks
1: showing us his I have, butt? I have no idea. Like, Crookshanks is not. I don't know. Is is spiting Ron or something? Crookshanks. But it turns He got right. a nice ass. <laughs> yeah. It, it turns. It turns out that uh, Michaela is fourteen years old. Um and uh, has written us this lovely letter which I thought oh. I would read because it's short. I'm sorry so she's for ex- the end of last week's
0: episode, Michaela.
1: <laughs> I
0: was hoping you would apologize. <laughs>
1: um, Chester no, Michaela. She's, so she's she's really artistic. Uh, and wrote this brief letter. I'm unraveling the scroll right now. Hi, I'm Michaela. I'm 14 and I've been listening to your guys' podcast for seven months now, and I love it. Mugglecast always, with the Deathly Hallow symbol for the A, uh, has the best discussions and it's always great to listen to different points of views. If I'm ever having a bad day, I just pop in my earbuds and play an episode of Mugglecast and always feel great. Thank you guys for everything. Happy 300th episode. This is a huge milestone from a fellow fan, Michaela C. Awesome. Well, thank you. That was really sweet. Um, and then we got, this is, this other insane, uh, mailing from Megan, who's in Tanzania. Aw, very cute. It's a big, it's Dobby, and it says, happy birthday, MuggleCast. And she wrote a letter inside, uh, which I will also read here. Hi, my name is Megan, and I am an avid, albeit rather new, MuggleCast listener. I'm currently serving in the Peace Corps in Tanzania. Uh, as a biology teacher at an all-girls school in Nyombe, or Njombe, Nyombe, in the Southern Highlands, up in the mountains, shrouded in mist, pretty much exactly the location described for Vagadov. Besides teaching science, my counterpart and I are starting an English reading, writing, and speaking club. Swahili is the main language here, although secondary school is taught in English, and I cannot wait to read the Harry Potter stories with my girls. Last I checked, there was no Swahili version, so we might have to translate it ourselves for fun. Anyway, just wanted to say that Hamjambo, hello to all of you, and Asante Sana, thank you very much, for recording your amazing podcast. Wish I would have started listening to them earlier. Good news is I always have more episodes to listen to. Bad news is it takes me about an hour or so to download one. Looking
0: forward to new episodes. Thank you again, Megan. Well, thank you for taking the time to download them. We used to do low bandwidth versions of the show for people on dial-up but we since ban- st- stopped stopped doing that. Um yeah. but yeah, thank you. That's 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 really wonderful. It's so nice to hear these stories because it's a reminder for us that there're a lot of people out there listening. Yeah. And um from all over the just, world.
1: Yeah. Two more things. We got a postcard uh from Shannon who sent us one of the studio tour uh, Owl's carrying the letter, so thank you, Shannon. And uh, Jennifer, who wrote actually, or somehow, I can't tell what this, maybe you guys can see in the in the document what this uh, lettering is. It's not handwritten, or if it is, it's very impressive because she used like...
3: It's calligraphy.
1: Uh, it's calligraphy. Like a calligraphy pen or... I don't even know it's how beautiful. this is possible. It's an entire letter. It's, it's two huge pages. Uh, I won't read it. Um, but it's, it's wonderful. And yeah. So I just, I, I can't even imagine, but people are taking so much time to send us this stuff. Uh, and it's just a pleasure since reopening the P.O. box to receive it. Um, and thank everyone for their well wishes and, and all
0: of that. I just wanted to give them a shout out on this show. Awesome. Awesome. So, you're saying no live goats, though? No, uh, you know, Or uh, vibrating broomsticks.
1: Yeah, Dan, who, who uh, runs the store that the P.O. Box is located at, will call me if there's a live goat, uh, I'm sure right away, and expect an explanation. I <laughs> uh, hope so. But he's cool. Uh, he's cool, so... You just hear a goat I, making noises <laughs> in the background. <laughs> there's a freaking yeah.
0: goat here! Who sent you this? I'll yeah. be right over to pick it up, sir. <laughs> yeah, right over. <laughs> cool cool and our patrons are starting to receive their patreon t-shirts i yes! i i finished the first u.s wave internationals next and then I'll keep chugging along with those over the next few months so that is that keep posting you, pictures. Everybody. make sure what What's tell up?
3: them to keep posting pictures of their shirts because yeah they look cool
0: yes yeah they've been uh listeners have been who've received the shirts search- shirts have been tweeting us we love seeing them arrive at your doorstep so continue tweeting us at MuggleCast or share them on Patreon. We'd love to see them there as well. Coming up on bonus MuggleCast today, like I said, we're going to be talking about the new Pottermore eBooks. What is new there? And we have lots more questions from our patrons. We're going to go through them, just bounce around from topic to topic, see what people want us to answer. There's a lot of good stuff in there. Like I said, our patrons are very engaged. It's very cool. They certainly are. Thanks everybody for your support, and thanks everybody for listening as we enter this next phase of the show, <laughs> where we embark on another three hundred episodes. <laughs> Woo! Uh, and I am still searching for that vibrating broomstick, vibrating broomstick. right now. <laughs> yeah, please, please send me one. One day, I we were joking about this before starting recording. One day, you're just gonna. Turn on an episode of Mongolcast, and you're going to hear this vibrating noise from one of our microphones the entire episode. <laughs> and we're gonna we're gonna have it on like nothing, nothing, nothing uh, special is happening. <laughs> All right, thanks again, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah, and I'm Gina. Gina, thanks for joining us again.
3: Thank you. Everybody- Thank you for having me again.
0: Absolutely. See everybody next time for episode 302. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.